Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We're, uh, we've been in, in the middle of a series called He Said What? How many of you have enjoyed this series, He Said What? How many feel like you've gone to a new level of understanding of maybe stories and, and, and things that Jesus said that we've read a hundred times and yet in the last couple of weeks it's been like, I don't know about you, but for me, I've been, wow, I never thought about it like that. Right? I feel like we've been in a season uh, of talking about the message within the message. So there's, there's the message that's the obvious stuff. And then there's those of us that are prepared to dig a little bit more and go a little bit deeper to get a little bit more about what God was saying rather than just to dismiss it off the, and oh, that's not relevant to now, but to rather find the rev- relevance for how this works for me today. Yeah. It's been really exciting for me. I'm, I'm probably more excited than you sound. It's very exciting, right? Excellent. And, and we've been going through this series. Jesus said a lot of outrageous things. Yeah. It's pretty clear that he was the kind of guy who liked to rattle cages. He liked to upset people because when you're upset, you start to think. And when you start to think, maybe you'll discover truth. I think he liked to push all the buttons. I don't think it's a mistake. We talked about him not being able to be tamed. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, you know. Uh, He went into the temple and started whipping stuff and throwing tables over and kicking people out and doing crazy stuff. Jesus was controversial. He did things that, well, we don't do things like that around here, sorry. That's not really how, it's not very religious, it's not very Christian. And yet Jesus was willing to push those boundaries and push those buttons and tick people off because he wanted them to think, he wanted them to come to a place where where stuff, rather than being um, uh, just religious tradition, where we started to push and pull and examine what was going on and find the truth that we needed for today. And, uh, and so this series, the first week, we spoke about family and it was a great message. Remember that message about family? It was awesome. And we spoke about how whilst Jesus said something very controversial to provoke the thought, that the message within the message was, and I've written it down so I forget it, the message within the message was where we placed our family and how Jesus wants us to live free and focused and not limited by small thinking, but, but allowing ourselves to be not distracted by those things around us, but released into the fullness of what God has for us. And whilst we could have dismissed what he said just by reading the controversial nature of the statement, when we dug a little bit deeper, we found that it was something in that for us that we can do today. There's something in that for us that we can live today. There's a principle there for us to take. It was brilliant. And then last week we spoke about money. Props to Tone tackled two of the hardest ones, all right? Gave me a relatively easy one. He took the two hard ones off the bat and props to you, respect to you. That's why he's a boss. He took the two hard ones, money. Whenever you start talking about people, money, oh, I can just see people get tense. He's talking about money. And there's two camps. There's the people like, how dare you talk about my money? I tithe. And then there's the people that, you know, oh, church just wants your money. And then there's the rest of us going, yeah, come on, let's, let's give. But I think it was an incredible challenge and a new way of looking at it where, where Tone brought the thought. For me, the big standout thought was God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And the Bible says in Matthew 6, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We either clap or we don't clap. We all go together or we don't clap at all. Okay? Because the Bible also says if a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for war? So if we're not sure as to whether we're supposed to be clapping, get sure. Because we need to prepare for war, it makes a certain sound, yeah? Fantastic. So let's try that. 
Let's clap. Yeah, there we go. Great. We also, this incredible story of these two wealthy men who encountered God. And because of the way that they handled the God question, it affected the way that they handled the money question. A rich young ruler who had a revelation that God was a teacher but hadn't yet put him as Lord. And then a sinful man who came with humility and repentance and said, God, whatever. Money was not an issue to a man with humility and repentance. Money was only an issue to a man who thought he'd done enough. Incredible contrasting stories about two people and the way they handle money. And the challenge to me was, what am I going to do with that? How am I going to choose to handle my money? How am I going to instruct my children as to handle their money? How am I going to impart into the generations the value of? Because Matthew 6 says, where your treasure is, that your heart will be. I want my children's heart to be in the house of God. So I'm going to encourage them to tithe before they even know what's happening. They're prophesying themselves into their future because they're sowing their treasure in and their heart will follow. Exciting couple of weeks. So it falls to me today to preach the next one. If I was to give today's message a title, it would be Die Another Day. That would be the title that I would give this message, and it will make sense as we get into it. Um, I probably um, have got a a, a scripture that, on the surface of it, I think because uh, we've used it a lot in church and because we are. Post Calvary, and you understand what I mean in a moment, it doesn't carry the weight that maybe it would have carried in the day. So, we're going to wind back the clock a little bit and talk about the cultural context behind this statement after I read it to you and why it was a heavy thing to say. And then we're going to talk about what's in that for us today. Yeah? Very cool. Awesome. So, if you've got your Bibles, could you turn with me to the book of Luke and chapter 9 and verse 23 and yell out when you got it? And these damn iPhones, right? You used to have like two or three minutes to take a breath, have a drink of water, or you hear the pages furiously flicking over as people are like, no, Revelation, I've gone too far. I've got to go back. <laughs> Don't have that anymore. iPhone, bang, I'm there. Yep, ready. Damn it. When are I going to breathe now? Anyway, here we go. Luke 9, chapter, <laughs> chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Now, that's heavy at a level. I just want to bring a little bit more weight to it. Is that right? Now, we have this wonderful thing called the cross. And if I was to look around the room here, there's probably enough. I know that Kath has got two of them around her neck. She's very spiritual. Um, But there would be people who have cross earrings and cross chains and bracelets. And and there's probably a little cross on the front of your Bible, maybe, or whatever. And the cross is kind of everywhere. And we use it as a symbol of, you know, this is Christianity. And there's churches that have crosses inside and and all the rest of it. And on the signs out the front. And that's that's awesome. That's today. In this scripture, this is pre-Calvary. You need to understand Jesus has not yet gone to the cross. So at this point in history, the cross is not the symbol of hope 
that it is to us. The cross does not mean that's the spot where my sin was forgiven. The cross doesn't mean that's the spot where God delivered me. The cross is not a point of celebration. We don't stand here and go, thank Jesus for the cross. At this point in time, the cross is simply a tool for torture and execution. At this point in history... They were walking daily past people who were being killed by an occupying army that had taken over their land and their form of punishment was to let a man hang there for six to eight hours while he slowly suffocated and bled to death in front of the people so that the Roman army could keep them under the thumb and make sure that they were behaving. It was, it was justice that was dealt out, sometimes fairly, sometimes not fairly. It was punishment, it was pain, it was torture. It wasn't a nice little necklace. The other thing in this this scripture that's so outrageous is Jesus said, if any of you, in the cultural context of the time, this wasn't something that was open to everybody. It wasn't an any of you moment. That was like, if any of you want to come and join the crows, just come on down. No, there's a selection process. Mind you, the crows are probably there last year, but... um, (laughs) Just saying. <laughs> there's a selection process. There's, there's a hierarchy. There's a, you have to earn this. And there's a birthright attached to it. And this is holy and not everybody gets to access it. And, and at this point, the high priest goes into the presence of God once a year. And, and this is not something that you just throw open to everybody. This is, this, is a, this is a select thing. This is only a few people have access to this. And all of a sudden, Jesus just starts messing with everybody's head. If anyone, hang on a minute, anyone? Yeah, Anyone? I'm flinging wide the door and I'm saying, anybody who wants this, it's available to you. So we've got two incredible, significant things. that Now, what he said carries a little bit more weight. The great thing for me, just a side note, don't you love the fact that Jesus was able to take something that was supposed to represent death and torture, the blackest and the darkest of things it could possibly represent, and totally redeem it to the point where we wear it as jewelry. I, uh, that blows my mind. I don't see anybody walking around with an electric chair on a necklace. Check out my jewelry. Nobody walking around with a lethal injection. Check out my jewelry. Hangman's noose. It's a weird thing, right? And those ways were much more humane die- ways to die than this way. And yet here we are with my shiny cross going and look at that beautiful jewelry. It's got diamonds. It's lovely. Jesus' power at Calvary was so amazing that he took an instrument of death and turned it into something beautiful, which gives me faith to believe that he took my sin in the same way, something that represented death, something that represented separation from God and was able to completely redeem it in the process of what he did through the power of his blood and turn something ugly into something beautiful. The sin that used to separate me is the thing that brings me to God and brings me to my and my knowledge of him. The thing that was intended to be death and torture Here's a beautiful piece of jewelry that I wear. Yes, I'm a sinner. That's why I need the cross. It's awesome. And the thing that was this has become this. That should build your faith. That should stir you up and get you a little bit excited. I'm excited. 
But at this point in time, it's like Jesus is saying, I'll give you a cultural reference point that probably means something. And I'm, I'm not here to have an argument as to whether these people deserve it or whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing. There's 50 million schools of thought on that and whatever, whatever, right? But we've got two young men on death row who are Australians in Bali at the moment who are about to be executed by firing squad. It's similar to Jesus saying, I want you to make your way out the front of the firing squad daily. Ooh. All, all of a sudden, there's a little bit more weight to that, right? We, we've Christianified the cross. Well, maybe it's lost some of its meaning. I want you to daily take up your firing squad and follow me. Ouch. Ooh. Where did that happy, clappy Christian thing go? You know, we were all, yay! And now we're all like, oh. So we're going to open up the scripture. We're going to talk about a couple of things, and then I'm done. Cool? I'm going to pray. Happy days. Let's, let's uh, allow ourselves to be challenged. I know I was challenged and stretched as preparing this message. It was uh, a big challenge. So in line with this, the series that we've done so far, what is the message within the message? What is it that Jesus was saying behind what Jesus was saying? Yeah? Let's go. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower. Point number one, Jesus was addressing desire. He said, if any of you wants. This whole Christian walk, this whole following Jesus thing, this whole thing that we do, I can't do it for you. There has to come inside of you, I think, a recognition of your need of God that turns into a want to. I don't come down the front and as good as our worship team is, lift my hands because Elise says, why don't you lift your hands? I come down the front and I worship because I want to. It's the same reason why people who don't, when she says, why don't you lift your hands, don't. Because they don't want to. Yeah? Possibly that would be something you need to think about as to why that is the case. But um, <laughs> you have to want it. God is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself upon you. But you've got to want this. I, I, I know who I am without Jesus and I know who I am with Jesus. That keeps me wanting Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Sometimes oh, the Apostle Paul says, I find myself doing the things I know I shouldn't do and not doing the things I know I should do. But in that, he's clearly expressing that his desire is to go after God. I think that's the story for all of us is sometimes we will make mistakes and sometimes we will slip up and sometimes it won't go according to plan. But my desire, my heart is set and fixed upon him. You know, desire at some level is stronger than need. I will sometimes go without things that I need to have something that I want. Want puts things in perspective. Want makes me sacrifice for certain things and go after certain things. Want is a powerful force. Ian Thorpe didn't need to be an Olympic champion. He wanted to be an Olympic champion. And because there was a great desire, he didn't eat as much McDonald's as what I do. He didn't drink as much soft drink as what I do. He didn't sleep as much as I did. He didn't do the things that I do. There would be seasons of his life where he didn't go and get a part-time job because that would mean he couldn't train. And rather, he made financial sacrifices, time sacrifices, all kinds of sacrifices. He pushed his body to the limit. He went, 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 and then went beyond. He had a coach. 
I don't have a coach. But I don't want to win an Olympic medal. I just want to not drown. So if I jump in the pool and I can touch the bottom, happy days. If not, I'm out. <laughs> but Ian Thorpe had a desire. He had a want that meant he pushed his body beyond the limits of what you or I would. That he consulted someone who, guess what? His coach couldn't swim as good as he could. But his coach could, and he'd, what do you think, coach? You just need to change this about your technique. You change that about your technique. That's discipleship, P.S., he engaged in the process because there was the desire that was driving his life. I refuse to be just a mediocre swimmer that wins at club level. I choose to be an Olympic champion. That's what I want. I want that gold medal. I want to represent my country. I want it more than a whole bunch of things that I could need. And so I'm willing to sacrifice it. You know what? This whole Christian thing that we do, it's got to start with want. Church, do you want Jesus? Or do you just like the idea of Jesus? I like the idea of winning an Olympic medal. But the reason I'm not getting out of bed at 4 o'clock in the morning and going swimming is because I don't really want it. I just like the idea of it. I like the idea of Jesus, but the reason I'm not serving on a team in the life of church is because I don't really want it that bad. I like the idea of being part of a community of faith, but that would mean sacrifice on my part and putting up with some people that tick me off, so I don't really want it that bad. I like the idea of a great preach on Sunday because I feel like I've, I've done you a favor, God. I went to church this week. You should feel blessed that I was there. I like the idea of it. I don't really want what discipleship means in my world, though. Because if I wanted it, then I'd be willing to pay for it. I like the idea of a Ferrari. And I would pay for it, but my wife won't let me because she thinks the house is more important. <laughs> I like the idea. I like the idea, but she's not willing to pay for it. So what are you going to do? House Ferrari. House Ferrari. Well, I'm leading towards Ferrari, if I'm honest. Uh, it's got to start with a want. God won't twist your arm. You know, if, if this journey starts with someone twisting your arm, then somebody's got to be on that arm for the rest of this journey. Oh, come on, please do God a favor and get involved and volunteer. Can't. Really? I'm going to have to flip and monitor you and be on your back the whole... You know how tiring that is? That's tiring, man. I'll just, I'm going to go for a lay down just thinking about it. That's ridiculous. I'm dying here. Oh, please, won't you help Jesus? For real? Do you want him? End of story. Point number two. Just let that sit for a minute. Point number one, he was addressing desire. What is it you desire? Oh, I desire to be financially secure. Well, that's awesome, but that, that's now. What about eternity? Oh, I desire to, to have a great family. Yeah, well, you know how you do that? Get God in the mix. Have a great relationship with God. You know what? I, I find that most family problems would be fixed if people just behave like Christians in their homes. Just saying. Point number two, he was establishing the goal. What do I mean? Well, he addressed the desire you must want to be my follower. That's the goal. He's establishing the goal. See, the goal is not 
You must want to come to church. As good as that is. The goal is not you must want to worship lead like Darlene Check, as lovely as that would be. The goal is not, I, I just I want to preach. God, I, I want to stand in the platform. I've got I could find something to say. <laughs> the goal is to be my follower. He doesn't say to be a Christian because Jesus never called the people that followed him Christians. He called them disciples or followers. And we like to label things. My, my wife's got a label machine, I like to label everything, right? <laughs> Look in the pantry and everything's labeled. I think my kids have labeled. No. Um, <laughs> which one are you? Turn around. Yep. Okay, cool. <laughs> no. <laughs> the label machine, right? We go through and there's a self raising flower and there's a plain flower. That's important labeling. Otherwise, it's just not good. The pancakes don't work out well if you use the wrong flour. The, the cake, and clearly I like a pancake or two. Um, the flour is important to be labelled. But the reason it's labelled is because I'm not using it all the time and it's going away in the pantry. And it's labelled so that I can find it when I need it. Perhaps, we should, I, I, I've decided I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. Because Christian is a label that the world put on the church. I, I'm not going to be that anymore. I'm going to be a follower. I'm going to be a disciple. Because Jesus never talked about Christians. He talked about followers and disciples. And I, I don't want to think that my, my hope for eternity is fixed in a label. I'm going to choose to put it in the process and the pattern that he outlined in his word. I'm going to be a follower. Because he said in his word that many are going to come to him on that day and say, Lord, Lord, I did all these great things in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. Maybe it's because you attached yourself to a label rather than a person. So I label things in my pantry so that I can find them when I need them. The problem is I don't need Jesus just here and there. I need him in everything. So I can't afford to put him away. So I don't really need a label. God's calling us to be followers, right? Have you ever, are you a good follow person or a bad follow person? I'll give you what I mean, right? Follow me to my place. And you get to the first set of lights and it's going orange and you just boot it. Bam, got through. Yeah, just it's habit, I know. And then you completely forget about the person who's following you and just take off. And then ring, 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 ring. Yeah, I lost you about 10 minutes ago, man. Oh, sorry. They're bad people to follow, right? They're totally unaware of the fact I'm trying to follow you. The good people to follow are the ones that booted through the traffic light. I understand. And then pull over at the side of the road and wait for you. <laughs> I got through, but now I have to wait anyway. Damn it. I should have just sent him a Google Maps link and gone. Following is a dynamic process. Follow. You have to be careful when you follow because you can't just go on autopilot singing the songs and talking to the person next to you. Oh, hang on. Where's that person gone that we were following? It's a dynamic process. You have to engage. You can't take your eyes off the prize for even a second. The relationship that God wants to have with us and what he was intimating in this scripture is you can't take your eyes off me. If you want to come after me, if you want to be my follower, it looks like this. You've got to fix your eyes on the prize. Put aside distraction. Put aside anything else that would beg for your attention. Don't limit your Christianity to being a label you put on a box and stick it in the pantry to bring it out on Sunday when you go to church. Oh, I'm going to need Christianity tonight. I've got youth. Oh, I'm going to need Christianity tonight. It's rehearsal for CM. 
Oh, I'm going to need Christianity tonight. Tony's coming around for dinner. Kids, best behavior. I don't want to have to kill you with the pastor in the house. Although, Christianity is not something we file in, in the pantry. It's not something that Jesus, Jesus doesn't require you to be a Christian. He requires you to be a follower. Let's not limit what God can do by putting a label on it and shoving it in a spot. Well, I've got my fire insurance sorted. At least I won't burn in hell forever. I know where to find it when I need it. Hmm. Establishing the goal. The goal is not Christianity. That's a label. Sorry, Tone, I'm not a Christian, unless you say I am. But let you put that label on me, not me put that label on me. If you see Christ in me, call me a Christian. If you don't, don't. As for me, I'm a disciple. I'm a follower. That's who I am. Which is awesome. We want Jesus. How many here want Jesus? The rest of you, there'll be an order call at the end. You can respond then. No. <laughs> there will be. Just saying. If you don't want Jesus, let's start there. It's a good spot, right? How many of you want Jesus now? <laughs> yeah, right. See, good. More. <laughs> Excellent. It's getting better. He's addressing desire. It's got to start with a want. Then he establishes the goal. The goal is not that you would carry a label. The not is that you not that you would call yourself something. The goal is that you would follow me. That you would fix your eyes on the prize and run the race that was set before you. That you would come after me and find me. That's the goal. Where to? I'm glad you asked. The third thing he did was he defined the process. He said, if you want it. Remember, it looks like this. This is how you do it. So this is how you do it. The first thing, you must, not you might, not you could, not you should. You must. When he says must, it's you got to. Right? If your mum says, you must go and clean your room or I will, you must. Right? He's saying, if you want, you must. When I was 16, I really wanted a pair of Nike Air Jordan 6s when they first came out, which means I'm about a thousand years old. And um, have you ever seen that, that thing, um, Nike Air Jerusalems? Have you seen that? It's awesome. It's like a pair of sandals with the Nike swoosh on it. <laughs> Nike Air Jerusalem. Jesus wore them when he played the Romans. Amazing. Very funny. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. I really wanted a pair of Jordan 6s when they first came out. I was a massive Michael Jordan fan. I had a full-size poster on my wall and the whole thing. I was, I was right into watching every game. I think I've still got his last game that he played before he retired the first time on VHS somewhere. Um, and, uh, yeah, big time into Michael Jordan, and I wanted these Jordan 6s. But we're talking 23 years ago. It's a long time ago. And they were $200 23 years ago. I'm like, are you kidding me? So, I, as you do, I went to mum and dad. I really want these shoes. And my mum went, $200, you're really dreaming. Like, Come on. And I tried all the things you could. Can I, can I, can I, can I? No. And if you ask me again, I'll slap your face off. Um, and so pretty quickly, we got into the vibe of, you know what? Mum and dad are not going to pay for these. 
And right then we find out how much I really want them. Because now it's going to cost me something. And so I saved up my birthday money and I saved up my Christmas money. And I did odd jobs around the house and I was the most helpful child ever until I got my money together. Then I just went back to being me. But I did everything I could do to gather these funds together, to get the monies together, to buy these shoes. I tell you, it was one of those days, man. It was like, whoo, it's like meeting Jesus. No, not really. Um, it was an incredible day when I finally walked into Tissue Plaza, into the athlete's foot in Tissue Plaza. And I'm like, I have got the money. I had had them on lay-by because I didn't want to miss out for, I reckon, about four months. So I had to keep going back. And I finally got the money together and I paid off the last bit. My grandparents gave me some money for my birthday. Bam, I'm going to get these shoes. I was willing to pay a price because I wanted it enough. There was a process that I had to put in place and there was a cost that came to me. And that was for a pair of shoes. Side note, the school resurfaced the basketball courts with this stuff. And it chewed my shoes up in about three games. They were gone. Model of the story, kids, don't pay $200 for shoes. Anyway. <sighs> Number three, he was defining the process. Here we go. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must. And I had to pay the $200. There was no other way around it. I must. If I want them, I must. If you want this, you must. Point number one or part number one, turn from your selfish ways. Let's break it down. What does turn mean? Well, turn is not remorse. Turn is not regret. Turn is repentance. It's to literally turn around. And God is saying, you've got to turn around some things. You've you got some things upside down. You've got some things the wrong way around. You need to turn on some things. There's some gear in your world that, that has to change and only you can do it. You've got to turn around. You've got to go the other way. Turn from what? Turn from your selfish ways. Selfish, self-focused, self-absorbed. What works for me? What's best for me? What I like, what I don't like. Selfish, navel-gazing. Selfish ways. You follow Jesus or you follow yourself. I'm not really going anywhere if I'm following myself. I'm just kind of standing here staring at my belly button. Which is delightful, but not very helpful. <laughs> Turn from your selfish ways. So what are we talking about? Or, or maybe you need to examine. See, ways is not just a, 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 a moment. Ways is an ongoing lifestyle. Turn from your selfish ways. It's, it's, a, it's a value system. It's an ongoing lifestyle. It's a, a way that you make choices. And, and God is saying, you know what? If you want to follow me, you're going to have to start to make your decisions different. Rather than thinking, how does this work for me? Perhaps you should be thinking, how does this work for Jesus? How does this work for other people? How does this sit and fit with my family? How does this work with my money? Maybe I need to turn around rather than I'm saving that money for my $200 Nikes. What about if I gave that to half of the house? That would be the opposite. That would be turning around, right? What if instead of giving God the leftovers, I gave to Him first? That would be turning around, right? What about instead of uh, complaining that the church wants too much of my time, I, I turned it around and said, what can I do to serve the vision? of the, That would be turning it around, right? Um, what about oh, the church demands too much of me? What, what does it look like if I turn that around? What does it look like? 
we've got to turn from our selfish ways first. We, we've got to start to think differently. The Bible says, don't be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in the Word. And, and I think sometimes when you try and do Christianity with the worldly mindset, you fail horribly. Because it's not meant to be lived with a worldly mindset. It doesn't work. It's like square piece, round hole. It doesn't, doesn't fit. But when you get this right and you turn and you make it about something bigger than just your selfish ways, it looks different and the pieces start to fit. And there's a great reward that comes to you personally when you, at the end of the day, uh, you know, why is it that we love these home renovation shows where people do stuff for people's family and we're like, that's amazing. These people don't have to do that. and they do, Because you were made for it. And the world has robbed you with a value system that says it's all about number one and if you don't look after you, nobody else will. Because they want to short circuit what God is trying to do in your zone. It's time to turn. Turn from your selfish ways. Here we go. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. He didn't say lay down on your cross and get nailed to it. He said take up your cross. So what does that mean? Well, see, you carry your cross on the way, and, and this is what they knew in the historical context. If you were carrying your cross, you were going to die on that thing. I'm not, I'm not carrying it for you. Carry your own cross. Carry your cross, and you're going to die on that. I kind of feel like Jesus was saying maybe live each day like it was your last. Carry your cross daily. There's a couple of elements in this. The first thing is, obviously, um, uh, we've had uh, certain things happen in our family. My, my wife's stepmother passed away probably about 12 years ago now from, from breast cancer. It was a really awful time as a family. She was a lovely lady and we loved her to bits. And, and uh, it's very sad for her dad and all that kind of stuff. We walked the journey as a family. It was a very sad time. But what I noticed was that when she was given her diagnosis, her worldview changed. Instantly. Before that, they were all about, let's build this business, let's make money, let's have a good time. We're living on the Gold Coast in this high-rise apartment. Look how much money we've got. This is awesome. The minute the diagnosis came down, actually, you've got stage 3 breast cancer. And we need to operate tomorrow. The whole world changed. I think within a month, they moved from the Gold Coast, sunny, beautiful Gold Coast, living in a high-rise apartment with the gym and the spa. I would least love going there for holidays. Oh, and all of a sudden they moved to Adelaide because they wanted to be with family. They wanted to be in our church that they'd visited. They wanted to be around things that were of eternal value. And I watched her husband and herself serve the vision of the church through this whole season of being sick. They would volunteer for everything. And they would, all of a sudden money didn't matter anymore. And they were like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Let's just, you know, and they're like, there's this thing, this natural thing in, in, in America that might fix the problem. And so they were off, planes, book, bang, out of there. It didn't matter what the cost was. All of a sudden the whole worldview changed and shifted because she'd been told that you're about to die. What does your faith look like? If I was to tell you, you're about to die. Or all of a sudden, the way I share Jesus with people changes because there's an urgency about it because I haven't got long. The priority that, that I bring to telling people that I love about Jesus changes because I haven't got long. 
Money doesn't really matter anymore. What matters is legacy and leaving something behind. And, and what am I doing for my kids? And I need to spend more time there and I need to invest. We love those sad movies where so-and-so is dying and he makes videos for his kid. You can watch once he's gone. There's, there's a priority shift that happens. What if you lived your faith like that? Take up your cross. Live like you're about to die. And look at what your faith looks like in that moment. Isn't that what Jesus did? Why was there such an urgency in just three short years of ministry? Because he was living like he was about to die. Because he was. The second part about that is take up your cross. We've been sold a lie as the church. Jesus does want to lift your burdens. But to take up your cross, there's a weight that's attached to that. It's time, church, in all love and, and all that stuff, it's time to carry. It's time to lift. We had a staff meeting this week, great staff meeting. We talked about a few things. And one of the principles that we really feel like, principles that we really feel like God is, I guess, leaning on in this season for us as a staff is the whole thought of do you even lift? <laughs> you seen those gym shirts? Do you even lift? Right? Do you lift? This church is not Tony's church. This is our church. So do you even lift? What weight are you carrying? Are you lifting? Because you're supposed to take up your cross daily and follow him, which means crosses don't weigh nothing. Oh, look, I'm picking up my cross. No, it was heavy. Some of you people would struggle less based on the muscle mass that we're talking about here, but maybe your cross is heavier. He didn't say take up my cross. He said take up your cross. There is a specific thing that God has designed for you that has weight, and you know what? You can handle it because it's yours. <laughs> but it's time to stop passengering. Do you even lift? Because if not, it's time to. It's time to lift. And maybe the lift for you is just getting involved on a hosting team. Maybe the lift for you is helping out in the cafe. Maybe the lift for you is getting involved in the kids' ministry. I don't know what your lift looks like. The lift for you might be like giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars to a charity. I don't know what your cross is, but I know that you need to find it because if you want to follow Jesus, you best be lifting something. Sorry, I get a bit excited. Take up your cross daily. This is not a one-time deal. Well, you know, I said this in the earlier service. It's a joke that I have my wife, so I don't get all offended. But every now and again, I'll say to my wife, I told you I loved her when, when I married you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> right? Gentlemen, this is not a good pattern for a relationship. It will end badly. And make sure she doesn't have anything sharp in her hand if you actually say that. I'm just saying. <laughs> right? Some of us are like that with Jesus. I told you I loved you when I responded to an order call. If anything changes, I'll let you know. And you wonder why your relationship isn't as full as it could be. You wonder why it's not as dynamic as maybe, well, how come they get, well, maybe they're telling Jesus that they love him every day when they pick up their cross and, and start to follow him. Maybe they, they haven't labeled something and put it in the pantry, but maybe it's a bit more dynamic and they're, they're living it and walking it on a daily You must, yeah? You must, not an option. You want to follow me? You want other people to call you a Christian? This is what it looks like. You must. You've got to carry something. You've got to do it daily. I served at Kidgo. 
and and so he died on the cross kid go cross kid go cross man well I think he's still ahead last point that I just wanted to bring take up your cross daily I love this bit and follow if you want to follow me just do it stop talking about it Stop having meetings with people about it. Stop getting counselling about it. Not that you need to stop getting counselling. Some of you need to continue. I'm just saying. But just do it. Stop talking about it and do it. Let's read it again. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from If you want to be my follower, turn, take up and follow. Turn, take up and do it. If you want to follow, then follow. It's not up for me to twist your arm and try and make you make a decision that you don't. If you don't want to do it, that's cool. And you can call yourself a Christian. But it might be a false economy. You might be setting yourself up for disappointment. And that's eternal disappointment. I don't know if you want to leave that kind of grey area happening there. I, I think you're probably better off if you just just follow. Just follow. You can call me whatever you want. I get called a Christian anyway, because that's my name. Christian. I think my mum was just trying to keep me in church. I'm going to call you a Christian, then you can't get away from it. <laughs> it's time to follow. It's time to be a disciple. Why don't you stand across this place? I'm done. I'd love to pray for you. And then uh, we'll be done. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 